Our good friend, Andrew McCarthy, former District U.S. Attorney, Southern District of New York, contributing editor of National Review, and uh, his latest book is called Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andy McCarthy, thank you for helping us as you have. You've been fabulous, by the way. Can I just tell you that throughout all of the Fox shows you've done, ours and the others and this radio show, you have been terrific during this uh, bizarre period. So thank you for that. Thank you so much, Larry. I appreciate that. I wish it wasn't uh, necessary to have to uh, well, go through I know. this stuff. But it, yeah. I know. I know. You know, I get, I get to the office, uh, was it Thursday, mid-afternoon, early afternoon, and and so this latest decision, they're going to unlock something. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I said, well, we got breaking news. <laughs> get Andy McCarthy. Unfortunately, you were there, so you helped the show. By the way, that show had good ratings, so whatever. Well, <laughs> so, that's me. I'm the ratings grabber, Larry. You are. The secret sauce. You're the key ratings guy. It's come to that. So, <laughs> so look at my friend. Um, where does it stand? What, what do you think's going on? And is this, um, you know, federal magistrate judge going to force the Justice Department to give up some information on the affidavit or not? How do you see this? I think they're probably going to use the next few days uh, feverishly, whether it's through, uh, you know, their friends in the media or maybe motions for reconsideration. But I think they'll try to get him to change his mind. Uh, he's kind of dug in. And I think probably where it comes out is he'll make them, you know, he'll make them unredact some stuff so that we get some stuff so that he can say he, say he did it. But whether we're actually going to get the stuff that anyone's interested in, like the the basis for the claim that there's probable cause that, you know, there's three crimes that supported the warrant and an explanation for why this had to be done. You know, the, Larry, the most curious thing of all of this is the Justice Department told him, you know, the other day during their first hearing that you can't make us unseal now because we're just at an early stage of our investigation. And I think most people heard that and think you're at an early stage of the investigation, so you decided to do a search warrant on the home of a former president of the United Mm. States. You Mm. would think that that would be something you'd do at the end, you know, when when all else had failed, and then be able to look people in the eye and say, you know, look, we tried, you know, Six other ways to do this, and we were unsuccessful, so that at least people could get an understanding of why they did what they did. But the record right now is, you know, they went to DEFCON 5, and they're telling us this was the beginning of their investigation. You know, that's a great point. That's a really important point. Uh, It just shows you, I mean, if this stuff is so important and so crucial, why did they wait so long? I mean, now that's, to some extent... All right, here, take your early stage point. Let me try to articulate this. Uh, We're in the early stages. So therefore, you would ask, as you just did, why did you go to DEFCON 5 at the early stages? But on the other side, they're saying, um, we've had this long investigation and we can't shed any light on it. We don't want to give you the affidavits for probable cause and names and whatever. You had all this time to do that. Why now? In other words, none of these statements make any sense at all. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, what people wanted to hear from Garland, you know, put put Trump on the side as hard as that is to do because he makes people's head explode, whether they like him or they don't like him. <laughs> but like, true. 
I, I think with the attorney general, what people wanted to hear the attorney general say when he and he didn't have to speak publicly. But I think if you if you're going to speak publicly, you have to address what's on people's minds and what they're curious about. You know, if he'd come out and said, you know, look, we tried to explain to the former president that it was really important that we return this stuff to a safe place in the government. And then we sent some people down to talk to him and that didn't work. And then we gave him a grand jury subpoena. And that didn't seem to work. So we gave him another grand jury subpoena that was more narrow. And this time we told him, you know, look, this is serious. You're going to enforce this with contempt. Uh, And then we talked to, say, you know, uh, uh, Mike Pompeo or or Lindsey Graham or somebody who's close to the to the foreign president and asked them to go down and explain to him why it was important that we get this stuff back. And we tried all these different options and nothing worked. So finally, we were out of options and we had to get a search warrant. I think people might not have agreed with that, but at least they would have they would have said, OK, that's a sensible explanation. I still don't like that they did this and they still haven't explained to me, you know, what were these documents? They're telling us it's classified information so they can't tell us what's in the documents. So I'm never going to be very comfortable with this. But at least the guy came out and tried to explain to me, here's why we had to do this. Mm. Instead, he didn't do that at all. Um, so the only one out there speaking is, is uh, former President Trump. And, you know, whether you believe his version of events or not, at least he's got a version of events, whereas the attorney general takes the podium but doesn't really say anything. And then the one thing we do hear is that he said that he thought about this really long and hard and it was his personal decision. And then his prosecutors go into court and say, well, this is the beginning of our investigation. So how how long and hard could he have thought of it? <laughs> no, no, these are very common sense points. I, none of this seems to add up. He thought long and hard. <laughs> but they're only in the early stages. I love that. These are very important points you're making. How or how early and hard is he been thinking about this? And then no, they're I... in the. So he hasn't gotten far in his deliberations, but he decided to send the army in anyway. Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think it makes any sense. But I, I also think, um, you know, for what it's worth, President Trump would have lay low mm. in the tall grass for now because I, I can, you know, he's out there saying, you know, these corrupt people and they did terrible things. And I think he's got other people who can say that. But what I would be uh, concerned about is they did get a warrant. They did get a judge to sign a warrant, which means the judge made a finding that there was probable cause that up, up to three crimes, according to what's in the warrant, got committed. I don't really think they want to prosecute these crimes. I think they just wanted the stuff back. Now, they may want to prosecute them on January 6th, but I don't think they want to prosecute them on a government records violation or on a classified information violation. But if he keeps going out there and saying that they're corrupt and they made the whole thing up and, you know, mm. I I worked with these people for 20 years, you know, and I'm, uh, I can tell you uh, how they think because it's the way I thought it would be, oh, yeah, okay. That's the way you want to play. And then, you know, he could talk himself into getting charged on something I don't think they want to charge him on. So I think it would be, you know, he talked last week about lowering the temperature. I think it would serve him well to lower the temperature Mm. and, you know, just let this play out because he could talk himself into getting charged. No, you don't want uh, the hornet's nest to go crazy. Nope. 
and that's uh, what you're saying. Let's can we talk a little bit about the hornet's nest, about the FBI? Because yep. you filed today uh, what a, what Mike Pence gets wrong about the FBI, and this is a tricky subject. Um, I guess we all want to believe in the FBI, but then again, you look at the FBI and what they've been doing through this period, and you sort of say to yourself, not so much, you know? You sort of say to yourself, not so much. The FBI, gee whiz, we're going to have to have a thoroughgoing reform of the FBI. Well, I think so, and, you know, I think I was wrong about something important um, when I was a prosecutor. When I, You know, in the 90s when we were doing terrorism cases, everybody always pointed to the British model of how they do national security, where they have MI5 and Scotland Yard, you know, mm-hmm. and MI5 is not a police agency. It's just an intelligence agency. They don't have police powers. Uh, and then they have the police force, which does the law enforcement. And I always thought, well, we were better off the way we did it with the FBI having both jobs and having both responsibilities under the same roof so that they could kind of leverage each other. But I think, you know, now that we have 30 years to look at how this is all gone or close to 30 years, I think that the the Bureau's ethos has changed. I think, you know, what they really did well and the reason we love the FBI um, and I love the FBI is they were a great police agency. They were a federal police agency that that took on cases like big mafia cases and big racketeering, big syndicate cases that local law enforcement can't do because it's all interstate and it's too difficult and it's analytical and um, it's just a different set of skills. But when the jihadist threat uh, rose in the 90s, and particularly after 9-11, I think the Bureau became more of an intelligence agency than a law enforcement agency. And it's a very different – it's a different set of skills. It's a different feel. It's a different stress on – secrecy and it's too easy to get kind of entwined in politics because everything's under the cone you know the the great thing about law enforcement is is you know that someone's going to check your work in the end you know when people get indicted you're going to have to turn everything over in discovery and if you lied to courts or if you did things you weren't supposed to do we're going to find out about it but in that intelligence world that doesn't happen nobody checks your work and i don't think it's been good for the bureau Andy, let me just read here from this morning's column on the FBI. Uh, I no longer believe the Bureau can get its priorities straight. We have to be honest. Things are headed in the wrong direction. Over the last decade, as it took on the cast of a spy agency, the Bureau returned to its Hooverian, meaning uh, J. Edgar Hoover, roots, becoming enmeshed in politics and serving a partisan agenda, inevitably that of the Democratic Party, because Democrats are the party of government, and the Bureau knows where its bread is buttered. So, um, if we ever get a reform president, we're going to have to take another look at the FBI, and you're saying go back to being the G-men that went after the syndicates and the criminals and across state lines and stay out of the secrecy of terrorism and national security. Is that the basic gist of it? Yeah, and I I just think, Larry, that after... 30 years, we can assess that um, the, the intelligence mission, the, the domestic intelligence mission is very important. The foreign counterintelligence mission is very important. I don't think we want a police agency 
doing it. Um, I just think it's not a I mean, we've seen how this works and it doesn't work well. Um, And I just think it's hurt the bureau in particular because, you know, when you treat we always complain that the the Clinton administration, for example, was treating a national security problem, terrorism, as if it was a common law enforcement uh, problem. Um, and I think one of the unseen problems with that, the, the, the obvious problem is you can't uh, treat like Al Qaeda as if it was the mafia and give them discovery of everything that's in your files like you would have to do in a normal criminal case. I think the unseen thing about trying to treat these national security problems like criminal problems is that the corners you have to cut and the things you have to do to make it fit into the justice system bleed into the justice system in normal cases. And it, 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 if the FBI is not really a police force, but it's an intelligence force, it has a different set of priorities. It's no longer going to be as transparent. It's no longer going to be as adherent to the Bill of Rights protections that are so important in the criminal system. It's mainly going to be about, like, secrecy. And if you decide that your mission is not to investigate crime, but to prevent crime from happening in the first place, that's a that's a very different set of priorities and it's appropriate with respect to mass murder attacks but it's not appropriate you know most crime we don't try to obliterate crime we try to manage it and we try to be aggressive and project the idea that the laws are going to be enforced but we don't want police agencies that are out there trying to prevent every crime from happening and the only way you can do that is by being an intelligence agency rather than you know Mm. a, a police investigative agency there is a crime wave. Now, the crime wave across the country, I, I know, you know, you have these crazy laws that favor uh, criminals over victims and no bail and no jail and things of that sort. Uh, but is the FBI not doing its homework? Is that part of the crime wave? No, you know, I think that uh, President Trump and Bill Barr did a very good job with respect to, you know, much like Rudy did in the in the Reagan days, the idea that the the federal government is there to deal with the crime problem in the jurisdiction, and if the crime problem in the jurisdiction is violent gang crime, then we got to throw federal resources at violent gang crime. And I think Attorney General Barr understood in a way that um, unfortunately a lot of people don't that the feds can only help as much as the states and the and the locals let them help. Hmm. So if you want if you're the NYPD and you can use the help for gang crime and gun crime, that can be a very effective partnership and I think for that reason we've had a lot of good task for task forces, you know, against terrorism, against drugs, against guns, against gangs in New York because the feds even for all the the stuff you read in the papers about how they these guys can't get along with each other. They actually do uh, cooperate with each other pretty well. But if you're in a situation like like we had with Chicago, where they don't want to let the feds come in because it's Trump, so you know we don't want to let Trump come in and help us, then there's nothing the feds can do. I mean, mm-hmm. they can be there and be ready to help, but if you don't have an effective partnership with the local police agency, there's a limit to how much the feds can help with street crime. Was Herbert Hoover, Herbert Hoover, was J. Edgar Hoover originally a good G-man? Was he a good cop? Yeah, you know, I... <laughs> you, 
You see I, these I movies know, about uh, John Dellinger and all these, you know, these romanticized movies. I, I, I never could quite figure that out. Yeah, well, he did. He probably did more to promote the image of the FBI than uh, in mm. terms of like their budget. And he was a big help on that Ephraim Zimblis Jr. show. Remember that was on? <laughs> yeah. Was it in the sixties? Yes, every it was week, fabulous. And, you know, the FBI, right? Yeah, so, no, it was um, fabulous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but but I you know I think what happened to Hoover is a kind of a, a cautionary tale for what's happened to the bureau in recent years, which is the more things are done close to political power and under the cone of secrecy, the less they are like law and order, the less they're like you know regular police work. Police work is meant to be transparent. You know, I mean, I think we. We have to protect the identities of informants, although they get exposed at trial. If they have to testify, they have to testify. And grand jury proceedings are secret because we don't want to ruin people's reputations when they haven't been charged with everything and anything in their presumed innocence. But for the most part, you know, when you arrest people, it's all public. The trials are public. The information gets turned over to defense. The judge looks at it. it. You know, it becomes very public. Whereas all this stuff that happens in secrecy it's too tempting to bend the rules. And what happened when the FISA court investigated not just the way the Russiagate thing got handled, but across the board, how has the FBI performed in FISA, say, the last five or six years? And it's, it seems like every time they look under a rock, these guys are violating the rules. You know, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're not verifying information they're bringing to the court. They're not keeping the background information that they're supposed to keep in what's called a Woods file. It's like their backup to to show that they try to corroborate things before they went to the court. They have to do that with that court because there's no due process mm. in that court. You know, it's mm. not like there's going to be a defense lawyer um, looking at this stuff at some point. Mm. It's all classified. And the court doesn't have the resources to investigate what the FBI is telling them. So they have to mm. trust them. Last 30 seconds. You think this uh, Trump business is going to go to trial? Uh, I really hope not. I don't think I think if they wanted to charge him with records or classified information, Larry, they'd have done that. I don't know how that case gets better. I mean, he either had the classified documents or he didn't. And he's either right or wrong that he could classify them on his own. Doesn't seem to me like investigating that for another three or four months is going to advance the ball much. When do you think that uh, this local magistrate judge is going to make a decision uh, on the affidavit? Probably uh, a, a day or two after, um, you know, they present the the redacted one next week. But the thing is, the government can appeal if they don't like his answer. Mm. You know, we may not we may not see this for a while because they can they can appeal it to the district court. All right, Andy McCarthy can't thank you enough as always. Terrific stuff.